Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Katie Neal from Odyssey Country in studio with truly the one and only Jelly Roll. How are I, you? I am so glad to be here, man. I am I am doing okay today. I've been busy. Very busy lately. And I guess I'll just dive right in. I have learned that being busy helps me. Really? With my mental health. It does. It does. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't get to loathe. Oh, that's I don't a good get point. to lay and flounder in my selfish thoughts of sadness. I totally I would agree with that. On days when I'm feeling down, so when I usually don't have anything to do when you're really busy, you're like, oh, I'm killing yeah, things. You're just like, you know what? I gotta go do stuff. You know, it creates purpose. It truly does. So it really kinda helps me to feel like I'm Moving with a purpose. Yeah. We're going to talk a lot about mental health today for Odysseys I'm Listening, which we were just talking about. is all about destigmatizing conversations around mental health. But because I'm still getting to know you and because a lot of our listeners are still getting to know you, can you talk a little bit about your background and your story and how you got to where you are today? Well, I'll give you what I call my elevator story. <laughs> if we were going to the 55th floor of a hotel neither one of us could afford, yes. this would be my story. My name is Jason Jelly Roll D. Ford. I grew up right here where you and I are sitting in Nashville, Tennessee, which is rare air yes. for a country music <laughs> artist to actually be from here. And uh, I grew up in a family with four siblings. I had two brothers, one sister, and a brother-in-law. My sister and brother-in-law have been together since they were like 10. Aww. So I've never known him not to be around. And my mother struggled with addictions and struggled with mental health really, really hard. Mm -hmm. My father was an extremely blue-collar, hard-working man that hustled on the side. Mm -hmm. So he was a meat salesman uh, with his fa our family meats company, D. Ford Sausage and D. Ford Wholesale Meats. He booked bets on the side when he had to when mm -hmm. times got rough. And um, I grew up here, and I was because of being the youngest, I was exposed to a lot of different musics, which is why I make a lot of different sounding musics. Mm -hmm. Mother listened to Outlaw Country, Daddy listened to James Taylor, brother listened to Tupac, sister listened to Nirvana, you know, the other brother listened to Otis mm -hmm. Redding. So it's kind of, I just kind of fell in between. At a young age, I decided to start making music because I would watch my mother change the way she felt because of music. She would sit at the kitchen table in her nightgown, her moo moo, and she would smoke a cigarette and she would listen to records. Mm -hmm. And I would be like, man, I want to make people feel the way this music makes my mother feel. You know, if a doctor would have helped my mother with her mental health or with her addiction, I might have, you know, I might have a six pack right now. And <laughs> my nickname might be Slim Totem and not Jelly Roll. And I might be a doctor. Right. Um, 
So at the age of 14, unfortunately, I started making a series of decisions that would get me involved in what I call the revolving door of the judicial system. Mm -hmm. I probably spent 10 years on that hamster wheel, probably eight of those 10 years incarcerated on and off. And um, quickly, my Damascus Road experience was on May 22nd, 2008. A guard knocked on my cell door and informed me that I had had a little girl that was born that morning. Uh, I'm going to that same little girl's graduation today. She's graduating the eighth grade. Oh, she is now 14. But at that moment, I knew I needed to change my life. And I did. I came home with a plan. I started selling CDs out of my trunk of my car and T-shirts and throwing local concerts and just doing anything I could not to revert, revert back to a life of crime to provide for her. Fast forward 14 years. She just celebrated her 14th birthday. She's going into high school. By the time y'all are listening to this, she'll be a high schooler. <laughs> my wife and I have had full custody of her for the last eight years, and she is the joy of my life. Oh, that is incredible. Congratulations. Congratulations. Sorry, it took, it took two minutes day. longer than normal to tell that story. No, but no, yeah. no, no. We're at the 100th floor, and I don't All even right. mind. <laughs> I also wanted to tell you congratulations on celebrating your first number one on the rock chart. Yes, ma'am. That's, two weeks in a row. That's incredible. Like, what, what do you even think when you look at like your life as a whole. Here you are with a number one song. Like, did you ever think when you were sitting in that jail cell on the day you're having this Damascus Road experience that like this is where it was going to culminate to? I just I dreamed it would, but I've learned that even my dreams then they were so big I was afraid of them, mm-hmm. and now I realize they were too small. <laughs> so last year I thought I'd hit the pinnacle. I played the Grand Ole Opry. I debuted. I cried ugly. Cried. It's on the internet. I played the Ryman. I sold out the famous Ryman Auditorium in less than 15 minutes. And to me, it was like, this is it. This is as good as it ever gets. And now this year, I've had a number one for multiple weeks at Rock Radio. I have a song called Son of a Sinner that is doing incredible. Possibly by the time this is being aired, could be number one, <laughs> right? And I am playing the Bridgestone Arena in Nashville, Tennessee this year. So Which is headlining. So incredible. Yeah, it's, it's unreal. So to that kid in that jail cell, if you're listening right now, I want you to think of the wildest dream you can come up with. You can do it, and it still might be too small. I'm having to set new dreams. So now I'm like Madison Square Garden. Like yeah. I'm writing a whole new list. <laughs> so this is just unreal. That's truly really incredible. You mentioned your country radio single now that is doing so well. Talk about Son of a Sinner and the message within that song and why it's so important to you and personal to you. Well, music to me, sometimes music is heard and sometimes music is felt. And I exposed the feeling. I I was exposed to the feeling side of music at a real young age. Mm-hmm. So I just always wanted to make music that made people feel something. My mission statement as an artist is to write songs for those without a voice, to be a voice for the voiceless, to speak for the forgotten, to speak for my mother. I'm writing songs for that lady at the kitchen table who's struggling with stuff Mm -hmm. or that mom in her van right now that just dropped her kid off at soccer practices and breaking down in the car. That father who's doing the best he can, but he's just struggling and nobody knows it. You know, I know what I'm writing for and who I'm writing for. I see them as clear as day when I'm writing songs. And to me, music's always supposed to be personal, man. Mm-hmm. Definitely talk about because you've explained this to me before. Like what the almost the character of the song and Son of a Sinner, and like talking about your dad right. and what, the person he was and the duality of life. The duality of life. I actually wrote that about my daughter's birthday. I, I celebrated her birthday, and I was like, "Kid, you are understanding the duality of life." Like my father was my best friend. Mm-hmm. He taught me everything I know. He was a gridiron, blue nose, blue collar, hardworking guy. 
And he would get off work, and he would go sit at the local bar Monday through Friday, and he would party, right? <laughs> Everybody loved him. He was a legendary. This was later in life, you know? Mm-hmm. But he would still wake up every Tuesday morning and be the first one at men's Bible study with donuts. <laughs> and every Thursday afternoon was the only day he'd miss the bar, and it's because he was helping the room in the inn at the Methodist Church with the homeless people. He ran the van. Mm-hmm. This is, And he showed me that duality of life. He taught me the importance of being a man of stature, but also knowing that I think he showed me that everybody lives a little bit between right and wrong. Because depending on what setting you knew my dad, you might have judged him for that alone. If you were in his younger years when I was a kid and he was the local guy booking bets at the bar, you might have thought, oh, look at that old bookie. Mm -hmm. But you didn't know he just worked 16 hours before he showed up to that bar to book bets and he was just trying to feed a family of five, six, you know? Um, if you knew him at the church, you just knew him to be the greatest man on earth, right? You didn't have no clue that he was known by first name when he, yeah. he was celebrated at the local bar when he walked in, you know? <laughs> so it's like, to me, he showed me that ultimate duality of life. That's incredible. And it's been so cool to see you doing so well in so many places right now. And I feel like you've got this, this rock song that's number one on the chart right now. And you've got a country radio single that's top 30, which is super exciting. And I always, I feel like the, like in genres of music, the lines between like pop and rock and pop and hip hop, like crossing genres is, is a little, like the line is less defined. Like there seems to like not be an issue, but sometimes you try to cross into country it's not always met with open arms, but right. you have been like so warmly embraced and everyone loves you. And I get requests for Son of a Sinner all of the time. Oh, what so do you awesome. think it is about your music that has made that, you know, the transition back and forth so seamless and successful? I think it's one shameless plug. It had a lot to do with y'all. Odyssey championed me. And they kind of somewhat, I can't believe I'm saying this, I hope I don't get in trouble, but they kind of forced the rest of country music's hand, mm-hmm. you know? And it was just such a blessing. And I think it's because they seen the spirit of country music. Country music is stories. Real country music is the tales of the forgotten, right? It's those guys. It's that guy that lives an hour and a half off I-65 South Mm -hmm. that nobody writes songs for, right? We didn't realize America's full of those guys. So it's like I feel like I embody that more than anybody as far as my songwriting style. And I also think that I brought a flair of the 70s back to country music. It's a little outlaw, a little polarized, a little dangerous, right? A little scary. (laughs) So it's like, I think guys like myself and Morgan, Ernest, Hardy, there's a group of us that are kind of on the forefront of, we're bringing a little danger back to it in a good way, in a fun way. You know, like Brantley Gilbert did back in his day, or Jason Aldean. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget the first time I heard My Kind of Party. I was like, this is wild. (laughs) You know what I mean? So wild. Yeah, it's like, you know, so I think that I'm doing that, and I'm just kind of a... I would like to, I would, I'll never compare to this man, but he was my inspiration was Willie Nelson. Mm. He was an extremely jovial guy when you met him, right? Kind of hippie looking, stoner, always happy. Mm-hmm. But he wrote the most sad songs. You know, you think about, you know, uh, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain. And my mm-hmm. heroes have always been cowboys. I mean, his discography is full yeah. of just, you know, just gut-wrenchingly sad songs. So I think that's kind of what we're doing. I think that's why country music's embraced us so much. Yeah, and we love it. And I'm so excited for you and to see the song doing well. I wish they could see you smiling. I'm smiling too. This is awesome. I know. It is <laughs> awesome. Well, let's jump in to Odyssey's I'm Listening. Like we were talking about, this is such an important 
mission for Odyssey. And the mission is simple. It's to destigmatize the conversations around mental health, basically normalize it. Because you and I, we're about the same age. Fun fact, our birthdays are actually one day apart. Really? I'm are the you, third. Are, you're the fourth. Yes. yes. My cousin's the third, too. So I'll always remember your birthday Sagittarius, now. Sagittarius. Yes, yeah. we are. Sagittarius gang, baby. Well, all fire. When we were growing up, people... It, People just didn't really talk about mental health. Right. Look, it took me until I was 30 years old to realize I was struggling with anxiety. Like, right. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. just not something people people talk about. So our mission, and I'm listening, is to destigmatize that, normalize it, so that if someone's really struggling and needs right. help, they feel like it's a totally normally thing, normal thing that you can reach out and ask for help. So we're going to start with a very easy one. How would you say your mental health is here today in 2022? As of this particular day, it's good. I've had a busy day, and like I said, being busy helps. Mm -hmm. It took me a long time to remember the old cliches, go out and get some sun. Yeah. Take a walk, (laughs) and you're like, you don't know what I'm going through, lady. And then it's like, it actually helps, Mm -hmm. right? Just getting up and going, you know what? I'm going to go for a little stroll. Like, I'm going to go soak that sun up, creating a list of things to do, Mm -hmm. you know? Because I have days that I don't want to get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned from my mental health is having a purpose helps that. Yeah. Even if, and I don't want nobody to be confused here listening. Your purpose doesn't have to be go write songs for masses of people. No. Right? Your purpose could simply be going to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. You know, that bread's three days old, four days old. Yep. It's molded. I know it. I just don't even want to get out of bed to go get other bread. I'd rather Uber Eats in or I'd rather eat something else. Like, it'll do you so good just to walk through that grocery store. Truly. You know, strike up a conversation with a stranger. It helps me so much. Connection. Yes, just connection. Just, you know, it don't have to be a deep conversation. Just talking to that sweet lady at the bread aisle. It's usually, yeah, it's usually the conversations I have with someone that are so brief and so fast that, like, they make your whole day. They can turn everything around. That was so awesome. It was such a genuine exchange with a stranger. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but right now, I feel good today. That's great. It's not always that way. But today, I feel great. Speaking of that, can you, can you... Share a, a mental health experience that you've faced or that you've overcome, like a time that was maybe hard for you, then how you got through it. Yeah, it's um, I know people use seasonal depression as like a term that gets thrown around, but I think it's real, <laughs> it's so real. You know, I think it's real, and it's like for me, it's sadness because I think about dad, um, I think about holidays, you know, and I have this weird empath thing in me where even though things are great now i remember holidays that were horrible yeah and i'm haunted by them i have to Mm -hmm. remind myself of like hey man that's that's then this is now you know living in the now is so hard for me sometimes you know it's like no matter the amount of success i'm getting this is crazy i'm talking this deep but it's like no matter the amount of success i get you're still always kind of you know no pun intended you're kind of one call away from yeah you know somewhere else you know so um for me it's like like recently this winter, it just, it's funny. My dad's been gone three years and the first two years I kind of breezed through. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, it's like, this was the year it settled on me. You know, this was the year I was like, Oh dude, you know what I mean? Like you just look at little things that are just like, ah, it's like you get, and then all it takes for me and my mental health is one little thing to trigger it. Mm -hmm. And then it turns into a wormhole, you know? And that was probably one of the more recent ones. Another one I struggled with a few weeks ago was, and this is something I think people really need to hear. I woke up and for no triggered reason did not want to get out of bed. I could not pinpoint. I didn't over drink the night before. I didn't have a triggering thought. I didn't Mm -hmm. have something that happened. You know, I didn't run into a moment where I felt insignificant. 
I just woke up and just felt a cloud over my bed, like the blanket was too heavy to push off of me, mm -hmm. you know? And it's so hard. That's the hardest one to overcome. It really is. And I will say, I do think it's really important for people to hear that because I similarly, and I'm calling it now the May funk because I've talked to three or four other people who said the same thing in this last month that they were like, I just, I, I could not come out of it. Right. I don't know what it was. And I, I don't know about you, but I, when there's no reason to be sad, I spiral harder. Cause I'm like, well, what's wrong with me? Why, why can't I come out of this? I just want to feel normal. And you yeah. kind of just have to ride it until it's gone. Mm -hmm. Or the anxiety sets. Yes. You ever have moments that I don't know how weird it's going to sound to people, but then I start going, well, there's no reason for this to be, is, is this a bad feeling? Mm -hmm. And the anxiety sets in the unrealistic anxiety. Mm -hmm. Is this a bad omen? Is yeah. something bad going to happen to somebody around me and this is the feeling it's fixing to happen? Is this, is this, is something going to happen to me? Mm -hmm. Then you, then you, next thing you know, you're checking your blood pressure for no reason. Yeah. You know, you're calling mm -hmm. your mom. Hey, how, how do you feel? You okay? You know, it's just, and it's, then you look like, then it triggers the whole anxiety part. Mm -hmm. You call it a wormhole. I call it a spiral. I'm like, yeah. I'm spiraling. I'm going. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And you've got to be able to just like turn off your own mind with yeah. like what you said and like be right in the moment and the yeah. now, but it's so difficult. But what do you do? Like, what helps you maintain your mental health or when you're having a moment like that? What's what recenters you? Being able, the first thing is my wife. I had to get in a situation with my relationship where I could say, and whether it's your wife or not, I want to talk to everybody about this. Find somebody that doesn't judge you. Mm -hmm. That when you have those moments, you can say, hey, man, I feel really off today. I don't feel right. Mm. Like something is not right. You know what I mean? Like something doesn't feel right to me. And just call, and you know, it also helps you when other people really close to you don't feel that way. For me, it does because then it's like maybe it's not a bad omen because mm -hmm. everybody would feel it, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like obviously if there was something, a bad yeah. energy in the air, mm -hmm. it would affect my whole household. Yep. My daughter's <laughs> doing cartwheels in the living room. My wife's singing in the kitchen. Like this might just be a me thing. Yeah. It kind of <laughs> reminds me of like, you're not going to die. She's not going to mm -hmm. die. Nothing bad's happening to nobody around you. Just breathe. You're Now you're letting your own, you're getting at, you like you let just feeling weird this morning turn into a whole thing of, you know, mm -hmm. you know, lock the doors. The storm is coming, you yep. know, and uh, that's important. I think it's important people have people they can talk to. Mm-hmm. Truly, I think it does. And I think that, like, if you're in a situation where you where you maybe don't have someone to talk to, because I think that's probably a little more prevalent. And I feel like especially for men, which is why I like I was excited to talk to you today, because I feel like women, we could talk about our feelings and our health all the time. But for guys, it's so much harder, like you know, and especially to, like, find a person. But even having something like music to rely on mm -hmm. when you're feeling down, I think is a great thing. Music is I still internalize. um by listening to music. Mm -hmm. So like, I know what I keep talking about my father, but he was my best friend. And um, on his death day every year, I get in the car first thing that morning and I turn on a playlist and I go grieve. Mm -hmm. I just hit a back road and I just, that's my way of grieving, right? Yeah. It's like, I'll cry, scream, I'll, I'll yell a little bit, I'll laugh. <laughs> oh, Jelly. But yeah, I think it's important that people find a way to a way, a way to grieve and a way to deal with feelings. And mm -hmm. music for me has always been. My wife still jokes. I know how my husband's feeling by what's blaring out of the car. <laughs> you know, so sometimes yeah. I don't have to say, "Hey, I'm having mm -hmm. a bad day." You know, she hears it. She's like, oh, "Okay." Yeah. What's your on the opposite end of the spectrum? What's the song that can cheer you up no matter how you're feeling? Oh, dude. <laughs> 
I don't know. You know what's crazy is like I never pay attention to how the playlist develops. Yeah. There's a moment where your drive starts with Riley Greens. I wish Grandpa never died. Yeah. And then you don't you don't even think about it as it transitions for two hours. You know, mm-hmm. by the end of it, you're you know you're driving home listening to, you know, that's the trouble with the heartbreak or something by yeah. Jason Aldean. You know, so I have never thought about songs that immediately cheer me up. That's really good thought for me to start thinking about. You need a happy playlist. Yeah, that's what I need. <laughs> I need a playlist that that doesn't develop into a happy song. This see, this is therapy for me. I feel like I owe you a check now. <laughs> So like maybe I need to find a record that's like you know this automatically makes me feel a little better you know mm-hmm. what I mean uh, I will say oh like if I ever want to laugh I'll like throw on the Bee Gees yeah. you can tell by the way I walked it up ladies man yeah. no time to talk there you go that's <laughs> just hard to be you know just bawling crying listen to that exactly. but I've also learned that I need to cry because for years it was like. My wife now jokes, she's like, oh, you opened the floodgates once and now they're here. You know, it's like, because I was a dude the first five years she knew me, I just wouldn't cry about anything. Mm-hmm. Anything could happen. I'd be like, yeah, it's just life. You know, I just kind of wrote everything off. Because I had so much trauma in my childhood and had so many friends die and been to so many funerals. And just coming from where I came from in a lower class community, a lot of overdose deaths, mm-hmm. a lot of people got shot and killed. You know, it's just a lot of things I went through. That just kind of numb you to that. Yeah. And then it's like, I started being like, maybe I should start taking the time to grieve this stuff. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And uh, I really find it important now to take the time to grieve. And when I feel it, just let it go. You know what I mean? Um, not joke my way out of it. Normally yeah. in this interview, I'd have started crying right then and I'd have just said the funniest thing I could think of right yeah. then. And Defense we'd have got a quick also. chuckle. And it's like, but you don't deal with it that way. No. And it's another reason I talk about my dad so much because I know it's only a few years old, but there will be a day I'll be able to talk about him with a smile. A hundred percent of the time, not 80% of the time. Because yeah. right now I talk about him and 80% of the time I'm, it's lighthearted. Mm-hmm. 20% of the time it'll still choke me up. Yeah. But I know that I just, that's me working through it. You know, yeah. uh, Jimmy Allen has a song called Down Home. Have you heard it? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, what an incredible record. And I was talking to him and I was like, man, I feel like this should have been a single two songs ago mm-hmm. it's on the same record yeah and he's like i wasn't ready yet like the song was out but he wasn't ready he hadn't dealt with it enough yet yeah he needed to sing that song a few times he needed to get through the emotions of that song's about his father mm-hmm. he needed to get through the emotions of being able to do because now he's got to go do a whole radio tour yeah when you got to press and you got to talk about things you know, like that every you single ready. day it's like he needed to work through that himself i have a song called save me and i thank god I didn't have to do a press tour behind it Mm -hmm. because it was such a dark written song and I was in such a dark place mentally and, Mm -hmm. you know, just everything. And I'm just so glad I didn't have to go through the cycles of talking about that in the middle of that. Exactly. You you mentioned like this kind of feeling like therapy. I would, I would never take the credit for that, but even just like what we said, like talking about mental health helps so much. What do you think it is about that? Like, why does it help so much? I think because it's the subject that we all feel to a degree and mm-hmm. are all afraid to vocalize. That's so true. So it's like we're all sitting in the closet dealing with it to some degree. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard to come out in the room. And especially for men, you know, it's hard to talk to each other about it. Yeah. You know, it's hard to come, you know, like the first thing I thought of when you was like, what are you doing? I was like, I tell my wife because I sure don't call my best friend. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, we, we'd laugh. You know, we, you know, it's like we, we wouldn't under, yeah, he would understand, obviously, but it would be a different thing. Plus, I grew up in an era, we're the same age, where it was like, you know, just get over that. Yeah. You know, 
it was a sign of weakness, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I think for so many years there's been a stigma around it. And I think now people worry about it looking like a cry for attention. Yeah, I can see that. Also. Some people are afraid just to talk about it because they're like, well, I don't want to look like I'm searching for attention because they reference somebody they know that's always talking about it or mm. always, you know, like, I don't want to be that person. That's all they talk about, you know. But it's like, yeah, well, I'm not asking you to always talk about it, Bubba. I'm just saying that. It's okay to talk about it sometimes. It's cool (laughs) just to open up and talk about it. It's just cool to, me and Ernest talk about it the most. And it's been, yes, because we're just like, he's so open and honest about it. We'll we'll just be able to go deep with it, you know, and it's just such good to have a friend that you can call and just bounce off of and be like, yo, let's just talk about this, you know? Yeah, that's incredible. Do you think that looking back, like when you were young and you started to go down this path that eventually led to the revolving door of the judicial system, do you think that being able, at that point, if someone had sat you down and talked to you about mental health, do you think that that would have helped you? Yeah, for sure, because I would have realized that my need for acceptance stemmed from feeling like I wasn't good enough, Mm -hmm. which is another thing that's another sign of mental health. Mm -hmm. I think people miss all the little triggers of mental health, right? They look at it like one way, like little things, like the feeling of insignificance, Mm -hmm. right? Insecurity, self-doubt. These are all little signs of mental health. They think mental health has to be the 600-pound girl on the TV show that doesn't get out of her wheelchair. You know, it's like you don't realize these little things. So, like, I felt such a need for acceptance, and I felt like nobody accepted me. And what I'm teaching my daughter now, and it scares me, is that when you feel like nobody accepts you, there's always that one group that will, mm-hmm. and it's always the trouble. Yep. You know? So you go where you go where you're celebrated, mm-hmm. not tolerated, you know? And I feel like I might have made some crazy different life decisions if I could have sat down and felt vocal enough to say, hey, I'm leaning towards this because I don't feel accepted anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And somebody would be like, dude, but you're enough. This is, yeah. first of all, you're in middle school, dude. Yeah. Everybody's going to be two-faced and weird. Everybody's mm-hmm. going to be mean. Everybody's going to be bullies. Like, relax. It was the end of the world to me. Oh, I know. I, I never knew it. <laughs> There's, If there was one phase of my life I never want to relive, it's like, you know, 7 to 14. Oh, yeah. Horrible time. Children yeah. are horrible. They're so mean to each They're other. They're the worst. Oh, especially, I feel so bad for you because you were a girl. Like, you feel bad about me being a dude oh not God. talking? Little girls are so catty at that They're age. the meanest people on the planet. On <laughs> earth. They yeah. just don't get no <laughs> meaner. You know, I've read my daughter's texts, and I've seen girls just be mean to her. So mad I want to go beat up their father. Yeah. I've seen my daughter be mean to girls, mm-hmm. right? I'm full, I'm going to be more honest than I should be here. It's obvious that it's a revolve. Every, it feels like, mm-hmm. you know, we're all in this together, so let's just all be, you know, yeah. let's who can be cattier? And uh, it makes me have these conversations with Bailey because you'll eventually lean one way if you don't have a way to lean. Yeah. That's so true. And speaking of like, you know, having having help and troubled youth and having a place to go, I would love if you would talk about, you mentioned earlier, you're playing Bridgestone later oh, yes. this year. Will you please talk about what you were doing with the proceeds from that show? Because I think it's so amazing. Oh, dude, this is, I'm so proud of this. So when I was 16 years old, I mean, first of all, a d- disclaimer for those that don't know me, I am big in a justice reform. And I believe it starts with our youth, mm-hmm. right? When I was 15 or 16 years old, I committed a crime I'm not proud of. And I knew better. Let's talk both ways about it up front. But they warranted this crime as significant enough to charge me as an adult. It was a violent offense. And they charged me as an adult at the age of 16 in a state that does not give forgiveness to violent offenses. Mm -hmm. So 20 years, 20 something years later, I sit here in front of you as a convicted felon that's non-expungible. 
for a decision I made before I was old enough to buy a pack of cigarettes, Mm -hmm. before I was old enough to rent a car, before I was old enough to, you know, I I don't even think I had a driver's license, by the way. I don't think I had gotten the right to drive a car Mm -hmm. yet when this happened. And I'm passionate about this, so I'm taking 100% of the proceeds, merch included, of the Bridgestone show, and then I'm going to match that show. This is an arena show. We're talking Mm -hmm. about decent money. I'm going to match it dollar for dollar with my own money. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is because I hate when artists fundraise but don't write checks. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I fundraised. I showed up and played the guitar. Like, we'd have done that for free, dummy. Yeah. Like, reach in your little precious bank account and <laughs> cut a check, dog. You know, put your money where your mouth is, not your hour. I put mm-hmm. my time there. You showed up and drank and played the guitar. Yeah. You know, it's like I want to put my money there, and we're going to build a music program inside the juvenile we're going to help impact youth with their center where kids come straight out of juvenile and by court they have to go to this outreach center every day. Mm-hmm. It's like an aftercare program. We're going to sink a lot of money into that building, a lot of money into that program. There's another program called Pick here, which is Positive Inner City Kids. We're going to put a lot of money into their program, which helps kids get into athletic stuff. And uh, we're just going to go, we're going to target a lot of money directly into at-risk youth and the juvenile facility that I was in when I was their age wow. right here in my city. Oh, that's so incredible. It's like going to be a special night. I have I have done a lot of things and spent a lot of stupid money, and I am really excited. I've never been more excited to give away money. That's incredible. When you talk about, you know, t- being upset with musicians, like put your money where your mouth is. Like, what do you think the entertainment industry, the music industry, the sports industry even could be doing as a whole you know, besides just putting their money where their mouth is, but like helping destigmatize the conversations around mental health. I think that um, we should spend more time showing up and listening. I think we spend a lot of time showing up and talking, mm-hmm. right? Every every artist or um, athlete wants to go somewhere and give a speech. Yeah. Why don't you go sit down with somebody and listen? You know, when I go to this juvenile and I talk to these kids, I do a lot less talking and a lot more listening. I do a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. You know, because I want to see their point of view and perspective. I think it's time that we started listening. I know it's no pun intended because we're doing. I'm listening. Yeah, but, but no, it's truly. like it's so important for us to sit down and start to get an understanding of people mm-hmm. and then sharing our story and knowledge in there. But I want to hear what's driving and what's the heartbeat behind some of this stuff. And um, I think, especially like in these facilities directly, like back to my youth outreach. Mm-hmm. One of the things I talked about youth impact and their out their aftercare program is getting a real counselor there. Not just a bunch of dudes that talk or a bunch of dudes that are there yeah. to help. Like getting real, you know, somebody who went to school for this and mm-hmm. understands it in a real way that we don't even understand. And, exactly. Yeah. Somebody to go talk to these kids and try to get an understanding of what's triggering these emotions and mm-hmm. are they grieving properly? How are they dealing with their PTSD? You know, because I know that, you know, I have a veteran uncle. I know how deep PTSD is mm-hmm. for military, but it also exists on a smaller scale in the community. Like any trauma that you've been through in any your life. Trauma. When you mentioned, like, losing all of your friends at such a young age, it's like, all, that is PTSD. Like It, it creates trauma. I don't listen to it. I hear a different sound when a car backfires and everybody I know, you know? And it's like, I, I jump. It's mm-hmm. embarrassing. You know, I don't like fireworks. They make me jump. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But I've also had a friend shot right beside me. Mm -hmm. So it's like I just and these kids don't even know that to them. It's normal. It's like it's not normal. Bubba, Come talk to us and let's have a conversation about this. 
just like deeper than the inner city kids, the the young lady who's listening to this right now that's 13 years old and is cutting her wrist mm-hmm. as a way of punishing herself because she feels like she's not enough, right? It's like, that's that's not normal. Come talk to somebody, mm-hmm. you know? And I hate that parents are like, oh, it's just a phase. It's not just a phase. No, yeah. something's triggering that. She's screaming for you to listen to her. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I feel like that was such a thing of our parents' generation is like, stop, like, no cries for attention, please, like, just get over it, yeah. move on. And it's like, no, I actually just need somebody yeah. to ask me how I am. Yeah, and just to somebody listen. to take the time to go, what's up, man? Mm-hmm. How's this going? Yeah. You know, and uh, just do it, just do a heartbeat check. We do it at our house all the time. We have a weekly check in at dinner. Really? Yeah, and I'll take my daughter to the side as much as I can. And I don't do it as much as I should, but I do it a lot. And I still go, what's up, man? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I didn't want that answer. Yeah. Like, what's sometimes really you got to really press sometimes. Yeah, like, what's really up? Though? Well, listen, quit selling me a car, Bailey. That's mm-hmm. my daughter's name. I don't want to buy, <laughs> I'm not here to buy a car, kid. Like, what's up? You know? And I think that's so important for parents to do, too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. If anyone is listening right now who's struggling with anxiety, depression, or even addiction, what is something that you would say to them to let them know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and there's a way out from this? You, for me, and this might not be the case for everybody, but you have to obsess about something other than your addiction. Mm. You have to find a way of people uh, obsessing about anything is not healthy. Obsessing about something positive is way healthier than obsessing about something Have you seen Tim McGraw? He works negative. out four right. hours a day. Yeah, and he's got <laughs> he's, a six-pack. He's yeah. yoked. He has channeled his addiction yeah. elsewhere, and yeah. it's worked out he's for like him. He's like 60-something years old and could bench press a Volkswagen. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Lee. I'm scared to go on tour with him because he makes everybody do <laughs> do workouts with him. I die out there. Mm. Um, yeah, it's like find a way. If you're going to obsess, if you obsess about the way I've obsessed about mental health, is I had to learn, okay, if, if, even though obsessing might not be healthy, I'm obsessing about something that's really unhealthy. Yeah. Let me try to obsess about something healthy. Mm-hmm. And for me, I started obsessing about songwriting. It's not always going to be songwriting for people, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like there's something there. I don't care if it's you obsess about tinkering with cars. You got like, you know, a doctor told me one time, I'm obviously a big guy. I do have drinks. I've been known to drink a lot when I do drink. And he said, Jason, before the alcohol or the weight kills you, the stress will. Mm-hmm. He said, do you have a hobby? I said, yeah, man, I write music. He's like, I know you do that for the love of it, and it's fun. But it's still your, your gig. His work, yeah. And I was like, well, don't feel like work. He's like, but it is. Do you have a hobby? I was like, well, I like to play the guitar. He's like, something <laughs> that's not to do with your job. Yeah. And I was like, I don't. And he was like, I need you to go get a hobby, something you do for fun. Like something you do for just because you enjoy doing it. And that meant so much to me, man. Yeah. I still search for new hobbies. And I kind of got an ADD personality, so I'll find a new hobby, ride it for a couple of years. And What's like, your hobby right that. now? Um, golfing. Yeah? Yeah, I suck at it. But, you know, <laughs> I love things that make me focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. You have anything like that? And I have started taking golf lessons, and I have learned that you have got to focus on just that one thing. Because That's it? if there's something else. <laughs> is that not awesome? Yeah, it is awesome. But, God, it is the most frustrating, like, oh. 
I, I said, I can't remember who I was sitting here talking to last. Maybe it was Aldine, but I was standing like, so many things have got to go right at one time in one fluid motion. Oh, yeah. Like, but I like you, I could stand out there and do it forever. And For it's, sure. It's a great thing to get outside, get some yep. sunshine like Vitamin we talked D, about, I which take, is important. Every day when I golf, I walk probably seven, 8,000 extra steps that mm-hmm. day. A lot of sunshine. You can drink while you're doing it. Nobody judges you. <laughs> Judgment-free zone. Like when you get a beer at the airport at 6 a.m. Yep. <laughs> Same thing happens on a golf course. Uh, video games. Yeah. I, I never thought I'd be a gamer. Mm-hmm. But I've learned that I, I'm starting to – I am becoming fascinated with things that I can't think of nothing but it. Yeah. Like when I stand over that golf ball, I'm like, all I care about is how to get that little bitty ball as far down that mm-hmm. little bit of fairway as I can towards the hole. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, same thing when I have a video game controller in my hand. I'm horrible at video games. I just started in playing? my 30s. Yeah. I'm playing like Call of Duty or something. Yep. Like what every masculine man <laughs> on earth is playing. But, um, and it's like I'm horrible at it, but it's like I can't think of nothing but trying to, you know, not get shot in yeah. the shooting game or trying to score a football you can also play with your pass. friends. Yeah, yeah, I play with my friends and we talk and it creates dialogue and it's awesome. So it's like those are a couple of things I'm into right now. I like four-wheeling. I like to ride four-wheelers, mm-hmm. you know. But whenever I didn't have the luxury of being able to financially afford these things, which somebody listening doesn't, mm-hmm. I got into basketball. Even as a big yeah. guy, I'd go play horse or I'd just go shoot basketball. When the doctor first told me this, I was as broke as broke could be. Mm-hmm. And I just went and got a basketball and I'd find a church parking lot with a hoop and I'd just go shoot for an hour a day. Mm-hmm. And you can't carry your, you can't hold your phone in your hand while you're shooting. Yep. So I had 100% focus on getting said ball. Through hoop, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, usually, if you're out there playing basketball, shooting, somebody else is coming. You somebody people, shows yeah. up. You just meet people. You start interacting. So things that put you in those kind of situations. You know what I think is so interesting about that, and I think that you'll appreciate this. But addiction is something that's near and dear to my heart and in my personal life. But um, Do you, someone, have you talked about it? Uh, yes, I just am not sure that I, it's not mine personally. So I, I don't know whether I want to mention it right now because it's someone that I love very dearly. So I will give them their anonymity, but. Something that someone said to us when we were going through it was the opposite of addiction is connection. And wow. all those hobbies that you just described are all things, I feel like, where you can find connection. Yeah. Because I feel like that is what is, is so important. Is your friend or family member sober? Yes. Good. How long? A year. Good Very for them. Very recently. Good yep. for them. Um mm-hmm. It's a completely different human being. For sure. As I'm sure you've seen you oh, know, yeah. with any of your friends or family members. Yeah, I, I talk sober. about it because she's okay with it. But my child, Bailey's mother, um, we got custody of Bailey, my wife and I, seven, eight years ago, eight mm-hmm. years ago, because her mother, biological mother, had got about, had a real rough run with heroin. Mm-hmm. And it was like every other heroin addict at the time, you know, started with the doctor gave her some lower tabs for, you know, hurting her arm. Then went to Percocets, then went to Roxy's, and by the time you're taking the next amount of Roxy's a day, you're shooting, you know, you're, yeah. you're smoking heroin, and then you're shooting it, you know, mm-hmm. and then it happens that fast. And she's sober now. That's why we talk about it openly. She's sober now for almost two years. She's back in Bailey's life, gets her all the time. That's amazing. So it's really fun to watch her um, overcome that. Felicia, I love you, and I'm so proud of you. Because heroin is, I mean, that's very lucky to be on the other side of For that. sure. That's I mean, you know, something. she, uh, my best friend, Struggle Jennings, he talks about it, so I will. His uh, baby mother and my baby mother knew each other for a long time because we've been best friends 20 years. Mm-hmm. We're both in their their weeds together. Both were using heroin even together. And his baby mother passed away. She overdosed. Oh, so so it's sad, so sad, you know, because I think about that 
all the time that that could have been Felicia. And I, he's such a strong man for having that conversation with his children because I don't know how I could have had it with Bailey. Yeah. You know, and I'm so glad she's on the other side of it now. It's Addiction is a... Uh, and you know, it's another byproduct deeply of mental health. Truly. I, and, and to me, I, they're one and the same and also just both a disease, which I feel like is not something that like a lot of people really realize. Like you said, sometimes you're like, it's a cry for help or attention. It's like, well, it is, but it's also a disease. Like, yeah, for sure. People struggle with this their whole life. I know people who struggle with mental health their whole life. And then like, look at Naomi Judd. Yeah. How long she struggled and how, like that's just, that really broke my heart. Yeah, especially... I want you to think about how deep that was of where she was sitting at in her life. Reunion tour, country music hall of fame. Yeah. You know, it's just like, just to even be, to be so sad, you didn't even want to face the world. And Mm -hmm. she knew that's what she was fixing to have to do. Yeah. You know, and that's just, that is just, it breaks my absolute soul Mm -hmm. to think of that. I'll tell you something about mental health. Obesity. And I represent, obviously, I'm an obese guy, and I've fluctuated weight. I fluctuate weight 200 pounds at a time, mm-hmm. up, down, yo-yo. There's pictures of me on the Internet right now where I look like a rock star and pictures of me where I look like I should be in a wheelchair, you know? And it's like I fluctuate. And I tell people all the time, you'll never meet a fat person. And people, society looks at obese people as if they just lack in self-discipline. Which is horrible. Right, they just look like just yeah, slob, undisciplined. Just you know, do better, eat less. You know, and it's like you you'll never go meet a fat person that doesn't have something underlying beneath that. Yeah, you know what I mean. You'll never meet somebody that's obese or somebody that struggles with any eating addiction. I'll take it a step deeper. It feels like when there's somebody dealing with anorexia or bulimia, you're like, just eat a sandwich, girl. It's like, it's like, no, it all ties back to mental health. It somewhere. all roads point yeah. back to somewhere. And I think the coolest thing we said in this pod today that means the most to me is it's the, uh, not the pod on this interview. It felt like a podcast. We've been talking <laughs> so openly, but it's just little things that are triggers that you don't even realize the insignificance, feeling unimportant, mm-hmm. feeling ashamed, feeling unloved. These are all like you think, oh, these are not just feelings. These are clear markers of mental health. Yeah, and if not treated yeah. or dealt with, they will spiral mm-hmm. in your words or you'll end up in a wormhole in mine. Right. And that's the thing, man. That's what's so important about this conversation that you and I are having and Odyssey doing this and being open to say, let's talk about like it's probably my favorite interview I've ever done because we just we didn't do nothing but deep. Normally I come in, it's real jovial and lighthearted, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll talk a little depth because the story's got depth. But normally it's just, you know, gags. I would agree. I always enjoy doing these interviews because you get to know somebody in like in such a way that is so different. Because a lot of times, like you said, I'll come in, we'll talk about your song, high five, take a picture, I leave. But this has been really special, and I want to say thank you so much for sharing the stories and talking about your dad and your grief. And I know that was not easy. And I hope that you know, whenever someone listens to this, even if we help one person and you know can turn their day around or their life around, then we've done our job. I think I've said this before, but I want to say it. I get probably, because of the kind of music I make, so cathartic, I probably get a thousand messages a year and over. Uh, we played your song, It Helped Me Through Grieving My Friend at the Funeral. We played this song at the funeral. Or my, my friend, um, I got sober listening to your music. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I've had people say, I was sitting down Friday night, it was my night, 
and I put the playlist on and set a loaded gun down on the table and started drinking and thought, tonight's the night. And then I heard your music and immediately thought, man, play that song again. Mm-hmm. And played it again and thought, man, it just touched me in a way that I changed my mind. And let's say that out of those thousand messages, 999 of them are telling a fish story. Right, they're telling they're they're turning a six six inch bass into a four footer, mm-hmm. but one person is telling the God's honest truth. Yeah, I have to keep writing songs for that person. Absolutely, that's why I think music is so. It just it, I feel like if you you know if you've if you've ever felt alone or you 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 never forget when you hear a song that like encapsulates an emotion or something that you've gone through that you didn't think anyone else had ever gone through. You're not the first person who's ever felt this way. You won't be the last. And I promise like you can get through it because I think that's the, one of the worst things about my, when your mental health is down and you're depressed is you feel like you're the only person who's ever gone through this. It's so much more widely spread in like the human experience. And I think that's why we do this today is to, to normalize that. Can you think of a song, not to put you on the spot off top, that has been that for you like a soundtrack to your life my parents went through a very messy divorce when I was 15 and someone had given me like some burnt CD or something and on it was Tom Petty's Mary Jane's Last Dance Wow! and I the summer that they split up I would just put that on repeat and I would listen to it over and over again there was something about it that just like spoke to me at that time. And it's not even like, like there's nothing in that song relatable to what I was going through, but just the beat and the melody calmed yeah. me when I was right. feeling anxious and I would like put it in the CD player at work and I would just leave it on repeat. It just did something for you. It and just, you will always yeah. remember that. Yeah. And I still, to this day, when someone asks me, it's like kind of, you know, dark and morbid. I'm like, that's my, my favorite song. Yeah. What about you? Uh, Fire and Rain by James Taylor. Oh yeah. Um, it's an obvious one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father turned me on to it. And you know the one recently, it's funny how they've changed over the years. Uh, I've always loved this song, but now it just touches me in a different way. Bob Seger's Against the Wind. Mm. Just as soon as I hear that piano, yeah. I just immediately kind of, I don't bob, I sway. Yeah. You know music makes you sway? Mm-hmm. Just kind of sway back and forth. It seems like yesterday, but it was long ago. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, it starts so nostalgic of what you've been through. Mm-hmm. And I think where it hits me the most is, there was a time in my life on the road, I found myself surrounded by strangers I thought was my friend, mm. you know, and I found myself further and further from home, which is why the line and uh, son of a sinner means so much to me. I'm uh, only one drink away from the devil, but I'm always one call away from home. Mm-hmm. Um, but the third verse is where I'm at in my life now. These are uh, the first verse, second yeah. verse place I've been is uh, those drifter days are past me now. I have so much more to think about, deadlines and commitments, what to leave in and what to take out. Yeah. And it's like because of the success that came, I'm now dealing with that. Yeah. You know, and I think it. I think I related to half the song before. <laughs> and now I'm like, I totally understand <laughs> where Bob Seger's at. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the one doing it for me right now. And the cool thing is when we do this next year, It'll probably be something different. Yeah. And that's the power of music, right? I'd be like, yo, this is the song that's like stirring my soul right now. I love that. So if you're having a bad day, per me and Jelly, throw on some Bob Seger or some Tom Petty. That's it, baby. Petty will never let you down. I know. (laughs) Jelly Roll, thank you so much. This has meant so much to me. I've enjoyed this so much. Thank you. Thank you. This has been deep. It's been, uh, this is, this has been, this has been good for me. It's one of those things where you feel better after you do it. I feel so good. Thank you. Thank you. 
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.